Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Are you or your team performing all possible vendor validations? Do you know which documents have the key data you need to confirm that the vendor you are about to create or update is real? Be sure by downloading the vendor validation reference list. It also has links to all the resources listed. Download at www. Dot Deborah D E B R A R Richardson R I C H A R D S O N dot com. Vishing campaigns are increasing. Do you and your team know how to protect your vendor data and your company's payments so that you pay the right vendor? Keep listening. Welcome to episode 98, Vishing. Should your AP team be taking calls from vendors anyway? So the human voice is the oldest and the most effective interaction. And not surprisingly, it is being used by fishers to solicit sensitive information via live phone calls. This social engineering tactic is called vishing. So instead of phishing by email, it is vishing, where emotional triggers, a sense of urgency is being used to play on human vulnerabilities. Now you combine that with the user, in this case, the AP customer service team member, being the weakest link in any security system and a basis for eliminating live phone calls definitely can be made. Now, the rise of scams is not helping with the pandemic. It has increased fraud in accounts payable as with most functions and the phones are definitely being targeted. I recently posted a new scam alert and I'll put a link to it in the show notes from both the Federal Bureau of Investigations, or FBI, and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, or CISA, and they warned against an increase in vishing since the start of companies working from home. They found that in mid-July, a vishing campaign was reported that targeted employees' VPN credentials and even spoofed phone numbers of colleagues and other employees at these companies to appear legitimate. So my question is, is now that we know fraud has been around for some time and it's targeting AP, and now that we know the pandemic is not just a temporary um, work from home, 30 day shelter in place, thing, we know it's going to be continuing, is now a good time to ask the question, do we still need 
AP vendor maintenance, AP customer service, AP help desk to take calls from vendors. Now in 2013, IOFM published benchmarks, accounts payable, customer service, and it was not a question of whether AP teams were taking live phone calls, but rather how many FTEs, how many full-time equivalents, how many employees, um, which team members were the calls routed to, and how many were vendor versus employee. Now you fast forward to May 2018, where a question on an AP customer service um, efficiency to to the IOFM advisory panelists that met with responses revealing a trend a trend towards eliminating phone calls in favor of vendor portals, CRM tools, email, and ticketing systems. Now, the intent is not meant to degrade support to our vendors or our internal customers. The intent is to provide great customer service using a communication method that protects both the vendor and the company from potential fraud. So if your AP team is no longer taking calls, that is great. I would love to hear in the comments on whatever platform you're listening to this episode in, how long ago you made that change and what method are you using to receive vendor inquiries? Because you know they always want to know when they're going to get paid. But if your AP team is still taking calls, this may be the best time to talk to leadership. You want to present a case and a fraud is not a a great case, then I don't know what is. Maybe you want to document how many times you've, um, you or your team has experienced fraud. Um, but this may be the opportune time to require vendors to use email, that ticketing system, or increase vendor adoption by requiring vendors to actually use that shiny new, or maybe not so new anymore, vendor self-registration portal. Now, I'm not saying that everything or those options are foolproof, but when is the last time you heard a baby's cry used over email in order to trigger an emotional response that is supposed to take the customer service person off of their edge? So again, this may be the most opportune time to have a business case and present that to leadership. And if for nothing else, um, do that for the time period. If your team is still working from home, include that in the business case. And if it's only temporary until they get back to the office, at least that's something. But just like accounts payable prove that they can work from home and be productive, maybe eliminating the phone calls and routing everything through a uh, process that is more documented. Email is documented, ticketing systems are documented, um, vendor self-registration portals are documented. Maybe that will prove that yes, we can take care of vendors and respond to their inquiries without phone calls. And not to mention that many of the vendors will uh, phone you and 
uh, and email you. So they'll reach out to you twice. And so uh, the accounts payable uh, customer service team or person ends up touching it twice. And in some cases, you get one person that gets the phone call and you get another um, person or accounts payable team member that uh, takes the or responds to the email. So now you're not touching it twice with two different people potentially. So that's my recommendation. Eliminate those phone calls from the vendors, um, maybe even the employees as well. And I hope you can be successful, um, especially if you or your team is still working from home. But if you're not, or in the interim, make sure you have techniques in place that can authenticate callers. So here's what I recommend. And I actually have this list. Um, I updated it from a previous list that I had. Um, I added a couple new things because you know the world is changing. New frauds um, uh, have, have come and also some new mitigations have been added as well. So let's talk through those. So the first one, and if you guys have seen my webinars um, uh, about protecting um, your vendor, your company's payments, um, I always talk about authentication. So authenticate each external cause, whether it be a vendor or an employee, before discussing any vendor invoice or account information. Now you wanna require that the vendor provide at least two pieces of information that a fraudster would not know, such as an invoice number, a PO number, along with a tax ID or um, the last four or five digits of the bank account number. And you wanna mix it up. You don't wanna give or um, ask uh, pieces of information that can be found on the same document. So I talked about the invoice number and the PO number. Maybe you want to split those up um, since a PO number can be on an invoice and you want to ask for, you want to ask for an invoice number and the last four digits of the tax ID or the PO number and the last four digits of the bank account number if they have a CH. Now, for the employee, you can do the exact same thing. Um, you can have their cubicle number plus their next level up. Anything that the um, employees or the customer service uh, team members will have access to verify. Now, one tactic if you have or you or your team member have a vendor or an employee on the phone and you are very suspicious um, of them, according to social-engineer.org, if you ask the visher, this is the fraudster calling in, for their name, their company, and their phone number, or you put them on hold, the visher will disconnect. So if the help desk team member is uncomfortable in any way, they can take the caller's information, tell them someone will call them back. And if they actually do get, get identifying information from the caller, then it can be validated or handed um, or that information handed over to leadership and or the security team. So you don't have to 
validate or authenticate that vendor in the in that um, initial call if the team member feels suspicious have them get the information um, put the vendor on hold potentially and see if they disconnect come back to the call and then say that they will someone will call them back and then you can do your validating in between now, the second thing is uh, give the APT members a reference for authentication. So it makes it easier for the APT members to remember what information can be used to authenticate the caller. Um, again, I talked before about different combinations of questions that you asked. Um, so you're not asking the same thing that would be on uh, for different elements that, that it would be on the same um, document. Also, it can increase the potential that the APT members will comply with the policy. Um, don't forget to include a short script to be used to explain the reason for the authentication and how to end the call when the authentication is not successful. So that reference should be treated as confidential and not be shared with anyone outside of the APT. And then you do want to monitor to ensure authentication is being followed by APT members. If you have an IVR system or some type of telephone system that will allow you to listen, you can listen randomly in supervisor mode if your phone system has that feature. Or consider recording calls and auditing weekly. Follow up as needed with team members and include um, that in their performance reviews if possible. This is one area where it may be done in the beginning. However, as time passes, they get more comfortable or during busy times like it is now, it's easy to skip um, this step um, to increase productivity. So what is measured improves. So put it on their performance reviews if you're able. The other thing is you want to limit um, the information revealed. So even when the vendor authenticates, still limit the information that the help desk uh, team members can give the vendor over the phone. So separate what information can be given over the phone and what information can be confirmed. For example, a vendor wants to verify which bank account their payment went to, have them give you the bank account number and you can confirm whether that is what's on file. Don't reveal to them the bank account number or any information that is used to authenticate the vendor. So if you give them that information, then they have um, that they can call right back and use that information to authenticate themselves. And on that note, you also want to limit the information that is being used to authenticate that's on that reference sheet. Limit who has access to that because you don't want them calling Susie over in, I don't know, another department who they have a relationship with because they bought the services or they sold the services or the product to them for their use. You don't want them calling up Susie and saying, hey, Susie, um, what bank account did my um, payment go in? Um, because Susie hasn't been trained. She doesn't have the authentication reference, um, the matrix. And Susie may just give all that information and they can call to accounts payable and authenticate. So you want to make sure you limit who has access um, to that information. It really should be the least 
least privileged access. I can never say that word, but least privileged access. You only give access to those that absolutely need it. And then the last thing um, is send vendor confirmation. I've talked about this since I started my podcast and blog. It was actually the very first blog that I did back in October of 2018. So if any information is updated in the vendor master file, have a way to notify the vendor using the previous information prior to the update. So if the email was updated, send the notification to the previous email and let the vendor know that there was a change on the account. Include the reply to information for your team in case the change was not initiated by the vendor. And we've seen these before. If we change our account with our bank or with uh, Amazon or with um, Netflix, or Hulu or whoever else we're binge watching these days during shelter in place. Um, They send us an email and they tell us that our account was updated. Do the same thing for, um, for your vendors. And a quick note on this one, you know, supporting documentation should be required for any change to the vendor master file. And a quick note on this one, make sure supporting documentation is attached to the vendor master file for any change because there are those times where a remittance email address has been fat fingered or just not been added and the vendor is calling into the help desk to get remittance information so check the file verify that the email address is valid so the vendor can receive their remittance information and not have to call in So I hope that helps you start your business case um, to leadership to eliminate those phone calls from the vendors and maybe the employees too, to accounts payable. Um, But if not, or while you're waiting on that decision, please use these options to mitigate that risk when you take live phone calls from vendors. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 98th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.